obviously it's smarter than I am. Like, where's this come from? Because you have to edit out all the stupid things that we say. Now the pressure's on. <laughs> I gotta delete that. And you're like Botox. <laughs> it's episode 96 of the EdTech Loop podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and she drank a bit too much of the apocalyptic Kool-Aid after binging 16 straight hours of Black Mirror. It's Danielle Brostrom. And here to reel our EdTech hero back from the dark side, it's Steffi Light. To coax Danielle back from the edge, this week's moment of zen, trends hopeful. I hope that in this year to come, you make mistakes. Because if you are making mistakes, then you are making new things, trying new things, learning, living, pushing yourself, changing yourself, changing your world. You're doing things you've never done before, and more importantly, you're doing something. After checking the unseasonably cold hourly forecast, our decision was made to stay in and partake in this week's meet of the show, EdTech Inspiration. Northern Michigan here. It's early November. It already feels like mid-December, possibly February. And we're trying to not get into that early kind of hunker down mood. So we needed to find a little inspiration today. It was a great idea that Danielle had yesterday as far as coming up with a topic for this podcast. So we all have lists. Let's just jump right into this. I can start. Um, my first favorite thing that I love right now, Common Sense Media had an amazing blog post on ISTE. It was written by Liz Klein, who's their VP of Education Programs. And her um, idea is to pause for people. We talk a lot about digital lives and how to find balance with your media and real life. And I think this idea of pausing for people is beautiful and it's simple and it's a great thing to keep in mind. So when you're in real life and someone is talking to you, pause what you're doing and privilege that human standing in front of you over what's on your screen. And she says this, I'm no tech hater. I strongly believe that technology does help connect us with people in meaningful ways and it should be used for powerful learning in the classroom. But even with all that potential, the face-to-face -face interactions that you could be having, you should be having starting now. I love that idea of pausing for people. And I'm really trying to do that when I'm in meetings, when I'm, when somebody comes and interrupts me, I might ask either turning around from my screen or closing my screen and just pausing for people. It's a great thing to talk about with kids in the classroom too. That's a beautiful way to say that whole idea of a balance between how we use tech and how we, how we function IRL. It's a really good way to think about it. There's nothing more valuable than pausing for someone and having that conversation. I love that you're making an active step to do that. Sometimes we, we want to do that, but we still have our device up or we have our device open. And it's amazing how our eyes just naturally fall back down mm -hmm. into it. David Noller, technologist, mentioned that when he's using devices in his class, they're open. As soon as they're not being used, he tells them, close the device, mm -hmm. close the lid. It's easy to get distracted by the device. So we need to be probably very, very deliberate in what we do to make sure that we are pausing for people. Mm -hmm. And tell people around you that this is something that you're trying to do too, because I want you to check me on it. If we're in a meeting together and you see me not pausing, remind me of that. My, my kids have been checking me on it. <laughs> my four-year-old will say, and I've got her saying this, I told her what to say, so it's really funny when she says it, but she'll say, Daddy, what's more important right now, me or your phone? 
And he's like, okay, that is a kick in the teeth. I'm putting this phone down. You are more important to me always. But I think that's a good, you know, pausing for people. We need to make sure we're doing that. I also feel like in meetings and in just events in general, I feel like people are trying to be more mindful about that. Um, I feel like there was a time where it was, hey, great, look at how busy you are. I'm going to check these four different things and I'm going to have this open and I'm going to be looking at this device. And, and that was almost a good thing, but I feel like that pendulum has swung a little bit and we're seeing more, I'm seeing more active examples in adults of trying to model that balance because we can't multitask in the way that we think we can. I 100% can't and I think the research proves most people can't. Well, I can almost guarantee you guys do it when you go into a meeting. I take a look at the table mm -hmm. and see how many people mm -hmm. have their phone on the table. Mm -hmm. And over the past year, I've noticed less. I agree. Whereas, so that trend that you're talking about, I think is taking hold. I think people are recognizing that the multitasking skill mm -hmm. isn't really a skill. I agree. Makes my heart happy. My first favorite thing is, is pretty nerdy, but um, I've been doing a lot of looking into evidence-based practice in libraries, which comes out of the healthcare field. I'm not going next. I like I this one already. The part I wanted to highlight is you can collect subjective data as well as objective data. And the piece in subjective data that is meaningful to me is is really that idea of a narrative and the storytelling. It falls under the anecdata, so anecdotal data. And it's telling the story about the connections. It, it can be about anything, but the something I'm thinking about is a number of our schools are focused heavily on relationship building and connections. And they, they are always doing that. But for some, it's like the top focus this year. And just trying to quantify, for lack of a better word, how some of those connections get made with individual students or staff members in the library and how valuable that is for way down the road even. I just read a, re a report last night. It was from NPR and it was some research that had been done that if a student even has one positive connection with an adult, it can help uh, buffer them against really some of the things that come up on like the ACEs survey or those childhood trauma experiences and like those meaningful connections and even what seems like a small interaction reaps benefits down the road. And so my point here is just saying that having anic data to show those connections, it's very valuable. Like that is time well spent. And it's kind of the same idea that Danielle is talking about in terms of making connections. Like those those connections are meaningful and, and they can be very powerful for our kiddos. So anic data is my one of my favorite things. At the start of last year, our, our opening PD for the school year we focused on uh, something called the ISSN, the Intense Student Support Network. And I don't know if this happened over at Central High School, but I know at West Senior High, all the people that attended that PD wrote down something that they were going to do for students, be mindful of doing for students that year. And we ended up having documenting the full list mm -hmm. of things. And as far as something that would create a positive environment and mm -hmm. would be what, what's the term again anecdata anecdata that was you know i look at it because it was a spreadsheet of mm -hmm. anecdata and it was it was very inspiring we actually made it a made a video out of it with the running the running comment i want to make a kid uh one student smile today i'm going to say hi to a student every day i'm going to try to imagine try to focus on their needs over mine I and mean, just it was all uh, just so many great comments from our educators mm -hmm. and it was nice that they 
had a moment to reflect because mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to reflect on that anecdata and recognize how important it is because you're wrapped up in so many other things. It's nice that that became a focus. It's everything we should be doing. Kids, if they don't have that, they can't learn. And mm -hmm. that, those are the kinds of things we, we we need to be doing every day. I'm not nearly as cool as that. I'm just, <laughs> so, what you got, Larry? <laughs> the thing that I'm inspired about or that's inspiring me is the, um, the continued focus on STEAM in STEAM education. I love the A. I so love the A. Um, you know, we're all familiar with, with STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Throw the arts in there. Some of the comments that I, I ran across were, it removes limitations and replaces them with wonder, critique, inquiry, and innovation. The four C's, the 21st century skills, are all based kind of in that artistic mindset, the creative mindset, collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, and communication. Art is the tool to get those things done. So it's kind of like that connective tissue. It's like if STEM is the muscles and the the skeletal structure, the A is the tendon. It's the ligament. It's all connecting it together. And I think that that's always been kind of a, a separate thing. You know, you always look in, at, at any of our schools, especially high schools, the arts wing is kind of over there. It's those kids, you know, the, the artsy kids. and. Um, later on in life, when we're when we're in business or we're in any other field, we're, we always go, boy, we really wish we had that creative person to kind of not only bring some visual flair, but the viewpoint, mm -hmm. the value of the viewpoint of uh, of a creative to look at a problem and do that problem solving from an outside perspective. I think is really what the A brings to STEM is that that creative problem solving. The jobs and the challenges and the fields that aren't even created yet, like the creative problem solvers of the world are going to be able to make the future happen. That is so such a valuable perspective. Next. Next. The next thing that I am super inspired by are the Michigan uh, social studies standards. Interesting. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> you would never thought that one would have been on my list. Um, no, they just were approved in January 2019. And you it was been, after. On this I did. That's yeah. why it's kind of in my in the forefront of my brain right now. Um, they were approved after this big five-year discussion. And it became political, as these things often do. But the final draft is the part that I love. It has this heavy focus on inquiry. And the entire first few pages of the standards, the introduction talks all about how social studies should be taught and how different it is from how we used to teach it. So it's heavy into inquiry and that should be the primary form of instruction for social studies and that students and then they put and teachers kind of in parentheses like as a second thought like, oh, yeah, teachers should help, too. But mostly the students should be crafting these investigative questions that matter, that teachers should provide and help students develop tangible opportunities to take informed action. And I just love this focus on inquiry. If we do true inquiry, then I think we can come we can knock out like 95 percent of those SC standards mm -hmm. that we work so hard on. And ASL. Right. It's 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 beautiful. I think um, Trevor McKenzie's work on inquiry will become important as we unpack what the shift and kind of how how this changes our teaching. He wrote a series of books. One is called Dive Into Inquiry that I'm in the middle of right now. But he has another book called Inquiry Mindset that's more K-7 focused. This one is more K-12 focused. But even just looking at his companion website, there are a ton of resources that how to take students from 
here's what inquiry is, which is would be very structured into this like free inquiry where students are actually solving problems that they care about. And I, I just I love that scaffolding. And there's there's even a section that I was thinking about. He calls teacher librarians your inquiry superhero, mm-hmm. that they're the ones who are really helping you understand and um, empower with, within this learning idea. It's just, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm excited to see how inquiry into the social studies standards really changes the way we teach and how it starts to excite kids. This is a topic I'm passionate about, social studies instruction, and I'm excited to see how we can make kids passionate about this too. And let them follow what they're curious about. Mm-hmm. Reminds me a little bit of Genius Hour. It's that same following the the, the area that you're passionate about and, and seeing kids in that world, it's pretty empowering. The fact that this is actually in the standard mm-hmm. is, is great. I think we have educators that do this, that focus on this. Sure. Um, our superintendent was just in a, was mentioning in a board meeting recently that he was in a classroom where he was uh, observing a, a teacher do exactly this. I think she's been doing it for years. The fact that it's a standard shows me or tells me that we're recognizing that we are are no longer the gatekeepers Mm -hmm. of knowledge and that our job really is to spark curiosity Mm -hmm. and inquiry. And the fact that it's it's a a fundamental shift now, it's not just something we're talking about, it's actually embedded in the standards. We're not talking about content, we're talking about- Process. Process. That is a foundational shift in how we're educating and how we're expected to be educating. It's amazing to see that in our standard. Two years ago, we were frustrated that we had been talking about this and it wasn't happening fast enough. And now, oh! It's there. And I would definitely encourage people to go to Trevor McKenzie's website because there are a lot of resources on how to start inquiry. Um, One of the things that he shares, and it's kind of fantastic, he took the UN Sustainable Development Goals and um, made this, I guess it's a slideshow, and each of the squares are interactive. So you click on the one that talks about poverty, or you click on the one that talks about access to clean water, and it shows you this little kid-friendly video that would be a great starter for inquiry into that topic. I have goosebumps. It's real world, it's inquiry. It's gonna be great for kids and teachers. My next thing is everything over at Tattle. Um, I spent yesterday there, um, thanks to Tattle for hosting our PD. We had our K-12 library staff there for the morning and they were gracious enough to provide the meeting space. Um, And just being reminded again, I spend a lot of time at Tattle, but we have such a gem there of resources as well as a community space and the number of innovative programs and opportunities to our for our community. Every time I'm there, there's something else that I think, oh my gosh, they're doing this. You know, you can borrow a theremin if you want to do that. It's not every why day. Why wouldn't you? Right. Um, besides the theremin, lots of other gear for any kind of audiovisual project that you might have. You know, it's just a beautiful community space. And I, and I actually looped back over to the library at the end of the day. My son had robotics. So I started the day there early and then was there at the end of the day and saw some of the same teens that had been there all day taking part in all of what's there for teens, you know. And I thought, what a great space. You know, being there so much yesterday, I just saw kind of the the evolution of the day and like how people are using this. It's just, it's just awesome. And I just wanted to thank them for the experience being there, but also just say that's one of my favorite things currently. 
I would agree with you totally. Yesterday I was there as well, picking up some Melcat resources that I had ordered mm-hmm. online and shipped right to um, my local library. And I walked in and- Shout out to Melcat. I know, right? I my Melcat. kid was there and she was looking for some things. And that, that idea of connections with people, they are just so yes. wonderful about um, talking to a child at their level, finding out what they're interested in, helping them find books. Well, first taking them to the card catalog so they can look it up and then helping them find that book on the shelf and then offering this additional series that they might be interested in. Like mm-hmm. they know their stuff and they know how to get kids excited about reading. Absolutely. They're a great partner. One thing that I noticed yesterday that then looped around today, I there's a sign in the, t- in the teen section and it lists all the Dewey numbers for topics that you might not want to ask about. So just think of a topic that as a kiddo you might be nervous to ask about you know and then as i was driving here today there was a story on the news about um a a person who was you know growing up had some some things that they were figuring out and and spending a lot of time in the library and trying to learn about some of these issues but not wanting to ask questions and so kind of fumbling their way through how to find the right materials and i thought what a great thing that they're posting some information like you might not want to ask but here's some places to start your inquiry is ours a diamond in the rough we are really fortunate for all we have in our library for the size of our community we have just a really innovative um, forward-thinking staff over there i mean there are a lot of fantastic libraries but i think we're just we're extra fortunate in what we have and the size of our town. I was going to kind of jump off my STEAM conversation and actually go into one of the ISTE standards. I really like the design thinking uh, standards. So students use a variety of technologies within a design process to identify and solve problems by creating new, useful, or imaginative solutions. Kind of piggybacking off of what I was saying before, it's somewhat similar, but again, it's taking a lot, maybe oftentimes several problems and looking at them as a whole and then getting our students to, instead of focusing on the small point, also look at the bigger picture and teaching some of those design skills and recognizing the usefulness of those design skills and uh, design thinking is is very important. I, I, you know, Steffi, you had commented on maybe not liking the, the word standard, <laughs> but really maybe instead of standard, maybe a different word would be design because really that's what it is. They're taking the social studies curriculum or the social studies standards. And they're actually looking at social studies desi- design mm-hmm. and how best can we create a system that will educate our students in the social studies field most efficiently and most productively. Mm-hmm. It's a standard, yes, but really it's a design. And I think that's really something that is exciting that you see that pop up, obviously in the ISD standards as something that's really important. Moving it along. I only have one more thing, and um, it's eSports. Wow, last week's pod was amazing. Um, I'm, I'm reading The New Childhood Raising Kids to Thrive in a Connected World by Jordan Shapiro. I don't agree with everything in the book, but he does lay out a lot of things that kids can learn through gaming. It's super interesting. It reminds me a lot of the Jane McGonigal book, The Reality is Broken. Mm-hmm. She talked about why gaming um, makes us better. And I think I, I really got that sense last week talking to the guys that the things that they're doing with esports um, and the MySaf is so much more than just having kids on video games. It's all of these essential skills that they're learning through video gaming. And it was so cool. So that's another thing that I love. One of the neat things about esports is the fact that you can get all these kids together in a community. It's an online community, 
but it's a constructive, controlled online community. One of the things that a lot of parents, including myself, would have wished for for my kids is neighborhood time, where they could go outside and explore and play and find their friends and do whatever. You could just you know, come back at five. That doesn't exist. It just does not exist because oftentimes schedules. They're here, they're there. A lot of our houses are far enough apart where the distance isn't really workable. Online is actually a place where that can happen, where you can get groups of kids together in a constructive, fun place. When we were out playing in the yard, in somebody's yard, it's not like we were being constructive. I mean, we were because we were learning so many of those skills that would be learned through esports. Similar, similar topics, similar skill sets, similar mindset. It's just the playing field has changed mm -hmm. from the yard, which we can't, we can't seem to recreate anymore to an online yard, which is available. Mm -hmm. Did you read the Jordan Shapiro book? I did not. That is exactly what he talks about. He goes through things like that kids would have normally learned in the sandbox, and this is what they learned in the online sandbox. And it's the same thing. It's just in this online community versus this face-to-face -face community. And yes, you need balance, but they're also learning these things online. You need to read it. It's exactly what you're talking about. Well, and, and we've talked about this before. We're not leaving our students or our kids at the playground and walking away. The esports environment creates a controlled environment. So suddenly that sandbox is being monitored mm -hmm. instead of we're just throwing them out there and you know who knows what's happening. There's adult moderation in that environment, which I think is really important. Adult modeling even, like mm -hmm. yeah. We huge. hope. Yeah. My next one is specific to this time of year, but the, the Youth Media Awards, so the Children's Literature Awards, will be announced in January. And so this time of year is such fun because there's such a buzz about what books might it be and lists coming out and people making predictions. And what happens for me is the immense um, addition to my reading list that I get this time of year because it's like, oh, this one, this one, this one, this one. Oh, yes. Okay. So I just love the the discussions happening around books and the the buzz around books and the excitement and the discussions that are happening. And, and I'm headed to a conference next week and there'll be that times a thousand. So this is a fun time. So the stack next to your bed of it's books that you need to read is unsafe. It's so <laughs> unsafe. I'm trying to pick up your Twitter stack because I know, you know, after we had, we mentioned Colby Sharp on a <laughs> a few pods and that obviously triggered an algorithm at Twitter at some point in time because we added him a few times and suddenly I, I'm pretty up on all the new books and things that are coming out because that is my Twitter feed and I'm thinking what is yours like is it just just book after book after book <laughs> you've got to read this you've got to read this you've got to read it's this. nerve wracking <laughs> I was just gonna say that'd be overwhelming <laughs> I'm stressed good. just looking at mine and <laughs> this is a fun time yeah for sure Steffi, do you have anything else? When you mentioned Colby Sharp, the one book that he, one of the books he talked <laughs> this about. This year's Liz Kolb, it would seem. Yeah. Colby Sharp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he mentioned that he was reading Atomic Habits and then it popped up for a couple people. And so I just started it. So I can't say much about it, but um, I am really encouraged by, it's an interesting look at um, sort of those small things, those small changes that you make. Nothing in terms of a huge new philosophy, but um, I think it it's really interesting. And if it gives me insight into how Colby Sharp reads a thousand books a year, and then that can even translate for me to read a quarter of that number, that would be a huge win for this book to help me do that. So get through that big list. 
I guess we're there. Tech tool of the week. Um, I want to share the Use Tech for Good site. It's Use Tech, the number four, good.com. Um, and they challenge youth and adults to find and create the good online, replacing the fear with positive, deliberate, and constructive ways youth and adults can work together with technology. It is beautiful and inspirational, and there's a ton of positive examples of youth and tech, and it's definitely my tech tool of the week. This is good stuff. Uh, tutorials and updates, technologist, uh, shockingly, has a new tutorial intro to Google Drive. I think there's a cottage industry on Google tutorials because Google updates and changes so yeah. many things so often for the good 90% of the time. So um, if you think you know Google Drive, you probably don't watch the tutorial intro to Google Drive by the technologist. Um, hey, I would ask for our listeners, leave a rating on iTunes and include um, your favorite trends in education in in the review so um it's a great way for us a to get reviews so please leave a review but also a great way to communicate with us on what you think is really cool in education right now so uh leave a review and a trend in closing follow us on facebook and twitter at tcapsloop at brostrom da at steffi light and get all the books subscribe to the podcast on podbean itunes stitcher tune in downcast overcast the google play store spotify and wherever else you get your ear candy leave a review we love the feedback thanks for listening and inspiring jeez larry i wasn't gonna black mirror it